Good evening. My brothers and I wish to welcome you to the house of the Lord this beautiful Sabbath evening. And I hope and pray that you have remembered our brother this day in your prayers, that truly our Lord might use him to stand in to bring the message of the hour. As I was trying to decide on scriptures, I thought about what our pastor has picked for our yearly theme. Joe mentioned it this morning. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. And I started looking for scriptures along those lines. We all know we are supposed to do that. But I came across three different ones I'd like to read for your hearing. The first two are found in Corinthians, ones, uh, what they have listed, Tony has listed on the, our monthly schedule. The other one is not. And the third one is from the Doctrine and Covenants, which he has listed. But from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, starting at verse 8, we are troubled on every side, yet not disturbed or distressed, I'm sorry. We are persecuted, perplexed, but not to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of our Lord Jesus Christ, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our own body. And then from Second Corinthians, the third chapter, the 16th and 17th. Nevertheless, when their hearts shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be then, or shall be turned away. Now the Lord is that spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And then from the Doctrine and Covenants, section 6, verse 16. This is given through Joseph Smith in April 1829, but this part is where our Christ is talking to us. Therefore, fear not, little flock, do good, let earth and hell combine against you. For if ye are built upon my rock, they cannot prevail. Behold, I do not condemn you. Go your way and sin no more. Perform with soberness the work which I have commanded you. Look upon me in every thought. Doubt not. Fear not. Behold the wounds which pierce my side, and also the prints of the nails in my hands and feet. Be faithful, keep my commandments, and ye shall inherit the kingdom of heaven. Amen. Shall we turn in our hymnals to hymn number 327, after which... 
Our brother Luke will offer the invocation. start of this, uh, thy hour that you have uh, provided for us on uh, this day to remember you. Lord, I would pray for your, uh, your spirits to be among us, to, uh, to fill these rooms. Uh, for those that have not already filled it, Lord, that uh, they would uh, be able to invite you to know your love that you have for each and every one of them, and to, uh, to hear thy words that uh, thy brother has... Uh, Brought, that you have brought to our brother's heart so diligently, Lord, as he has prepared it, that you would uh, bless Brother Josiah, that he would be able to be used as a servant to you, Lord, as uh, he has given his time and his efforts to bring forth thy words to the people that need it. And once again, just pray that uh, your spirit would fill the hearts of all those that have joined here. If they not hear anything, Lord, let it hear and let them feel that you love them and that you have a purpose for them. And we would thank you and pray it in your son's holy name, Jesus Christ. Amen.
And Jesus said, O ye generations of vipers, how can ye, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. A good man out of the good treasures of the heart bringeth forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasures bringeth forth evil things. And again I say unto you, that every idle word which man shall speak, they shall give an account thereof in the day of judgment. I say unto you, that if you shall serve him who has created you from the beginning, and are preserving you from day to day, by lending you breath, that you may live and move and do according to your own will, and even supporting you from one moment to another. I say, if ye shall serve him with all your whole soul, yet would, yet ye would be an unprofitable servant. And behold, all that he requires of you is to keep his commandments, and that he has promised that if you will keep his commandments, ye shall prosper in the land. And he never doth vary from that which he hath said. Therefore, if you do keep his commandments, he does bless you and prosper you. And a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another, as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this ye shall know that all men may know that ye are my disciples, if ye love one another. This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends if ye do whatsoever I command you. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer with meekness and fear to every man that asketh of of you a reason for the hope that is in you, having a good conscience, that whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, they may be ashamed, that falsely accuse your good conduct in Christ. For it is better if the will of God be so that you suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing, for Christ also once suffered for sins, the just and the unjust, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit, that he may bring us to God and behold... If your eye be single to my glory, your whole body shall be filled with light. And there shall be no darkness in you, and that body which is filled with light comprehendeth all things. Therefore sanctify yourself, that your minds become single to God. And the day will come that you, will, that you shall see him, for he will unveil his face unto you, and it shall be in his own time, and in his own way, and according to his own will. I tell you these things that you may learn wisdom that you may learn that when you are in the service of your fellow being, you are only in the service of your God. Shall we open our hymnals to hymn 320 and remain seated for the singing of this hymn?
I'd like to speak to you tonight about uh, serving the Lord and your fellow man. I'd like to start with Mosiah 149. And behold, I tell you these things that you may learn wisdom. That you may learn that when you are in the service of your fellow being, you are only in the service of your God. So whenever you are serving your fellow being, you are serving your Lord. That's why you should always give the best that you have within you. For doing the lesser good that you do is sin. The lesser best that you give is sin. Because how you do everything, how you do anything, is how you do everything. So if you start to get uh, sloppy in life or in one area, it will translate into the rest of your life. It may not be right away, but it will eventually happen. And therefore, you'll start serving the Lord with less than you have. We can look at the example of Ammon when he went before the king. He was he was a uh, offered to marry one of the king's daughters. And he refused him and wanted to be a servant instead. So he was out tending the flocks when the Lamanites came and they they uh, scared the flocks to pillage because that was a means of pillaging for them. And all the other servants stopped and they complained and cried that they were going to die because the king had slayed his servants before because of this. But Ammon, he went and encouraged them, and he did his best by gathering up the flocks and defending them. And then when all the servants went back to the king and were showing him what Ammon had done, he was amazed that he remembered all of his commandments and was preparing his horses. I got a quote for you. Always do your best. Never be petty. And remember, others may hate you, but they don't win till you hate them. And then you destroy yourself. The other thing about doing your best is the quality of your life improves. People will see this change in your life. I know I hear Arthur Oakman, he talked about uh, how Jesus would always do his best. He was probably the best carpenter around and was sought after. And he said how when he made those jokes that no ox probably had a sore neck because he would get them so smooth. So the quality of your life improves through job, your life. Because whenever you do something, you should do it as if the whole world was watching but I'd like to say do it as God is watching, because He is. I'd like to read Colossians 3:17. And whatsoever you do in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. And also 2 Nephi 14:12. But behold, I say unto you that you must pray always and not faint that you must not perform anything unto the Lord, save in the first place ye shall pray unto the Father. In the name of Christ, that he will consecrate thy performance unto thee, that thy performance may be for the welfare of our soul. So therefore, when we do our best, we should always pray, no matter over everything we do, and he will consecrate thy performance for the welfare of our souls, that no matter how we perform, if we make mistakes or not do something right, we can repent and do better. I'd like to read Romans 12.1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, 
that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And this goes into repentance, in my opinion, because repentance is a continual growth to God. It's a continual getting better into perfection, growing brighter and brighter into the perfect day. Repentance is not confined to one small area of life. It involves the whole person. If, for example, I am accustomed to using profanity, repentance does not consist in simply, simply stopping my profanity, but rather in changing my total attitude and purpose of my life, this, so that profanity no longer fits into the picture. Repentance involves not only acts, but my thoughts, my purposes, my methods, my attitudes, my emotions, and my allegiances. Changing my actions in some particular situation without changing my allegiances and my purpose is, and my thoughts would be worse than foolish. It is not the outward incidents of my life which need to be changed, but I, the whole person. And there are four steps in repentance. First one is godly sorrow for sin, not worldly sorrow. Because worldly sorrow for sin, you're just sorry because you were caught in the act. Godly sorrow is you're really sorry and you want to reconcile, which is the second part of sin. Uh, repentance, the second step in repentance. Zacchaeus, when he repented, he said if he had taken anything from any man unjust, he'd repay them fourfold. Sometimes reconciled, reconciliation can't be done. That's why you do your best to seek people's forgiveness. The third step is asking God's forgiveness, but you can't ask God's forgiveness unless you seek the forgiveness of the one you have offended first. And then you can ask God his forgiveness, and if you keep his commandments, he will forgive you. And the, third, and the fourth one is building up the waste places of your life, which is the continual growth towards perfection. Once you have uh, repented of it, you need to replace it with something else, something better, because I said the lesser good is sin. So something that is uh, righteous, so to speak. And then we're supposed to be centered in God. I'd like to read uh, Luke 12:34. Therefore seek ye to bring forth the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. In Deuteronomy 11:18 through 20. Therefore ye shall lay up these 18. Therefore ye shall lay up these my words in your hearts and in your souls, and bind them for a sign upon your hand, that they may, may be as frontlets between thy eyes. And ye shall teach your children, speaking of, the, speaking of them when thou sittest in thy house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt write them upon the doorposts of thine house, and upon thy gates. The word of God is what he's talking about, and that we should uh, put God first in our lives when we... Rise up in the morning, we should pray, and when the going down of the sun, and every day, we should have a continual prayer on our heart. And then I'd like to read 1 Peter 3.15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer with meekness and fear to every man that asketh of you, a reason for the hope that is in you, having a good conscience that where they speak evil of you as of evildoers, that they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conduct in Christ. 
Now, some people would have to wrestle with a bad conscience when people ask them for the reason, the hope that lies within them because they cheated to some extent to get where they're at in business or in school or whatever you may be doing. That they can't answer with a good conscience. But you that are uh, here in this church should be able to because we should be able to attest that through the laws of stewardship and uh, through if you're going to school that God has said in, his, in the Doctrine and Covenants that you should study all good books. So you got an A because you studied and listened and you learned to the church and not because you cheated. Or like I heard Al Sid Palatier give a testimony about how he was talking to a man with his master's degree in economics. And he, and he was asking Al Palatier, eh, how, what does our church teach about economics? And he said he proclaimed to him our principles, how the church teaches us to stay out of debt, repress unnecessary wants, to tithe not but our increase, how to build up our inheritance in the land of Zion. And he said as he proclaimed these uh, principles to him, the man with his master's degree said, if social, international, and statewide and national governments were to apply this, we would eradicate depressions and recessions and one day, and we'd have a stabilized economy. That, te- that tells you how powerful the law of stewardship is in this church. And that if we were to follow it, this would lead you with a testimony when a man asks the reason for the hope that lies within you. I'd like to talk about uh, complaining a little bit. Because if you don't complain and uh, take responsibility, this would also lead you with a testimony. I, I heard a sermon by Ray Zinzer. He uses the words a lot. The seven magic words is what he calls them. Let me tell you about my church. So when we are led by with a testimony, and uh, people are asking for a reason because they see we're different, we're peculiar, that if we don't complain and we take responsibility because we're taught through the church that we're supposed to take responsibility for our sins because we're going to account for them in the day of judgment, no one else. And complaining is like cancer. If you don't think it that's bad, you can ask the children of Israel. Now, there were some other factors in this. This is kind of a short story. But they were slaves in Egypt, and God performed several miracles to get them out. And they're going to the promised land. The tragedy of the story is they never made it. Their children did, but they didn't. The reason why, from day one, they started complaining. They complained about the water. They complained about the weather. They complained about the food. They complained about clothing. They complained about the leadership. They complained about it was too long, too far, too hot, too cold. And you know what? God finally said one day, trip canceled. (laughs) And they died in the desert. The other thing is uh, Nephi. Them, when they were traveling in the promised land, to the promised land, all the rest of the family complained, but Nephi didn't. And if Nephi complained, they might have too not made it to the promised land that they were going to. Because when they were all complaining, when he broke his bow and they, and they had uh, no means to get food, they all started complaining, but not Nephi. Nephi, uh, he went and he, he preached to them, and then he uh, prayed to God and asked where to go. He was solution-minded, and he built a... Uh, he built a bow and an arrow and he went and slayed beasts and they all had food and 
So that would lead you with a testimony if someone asks you why you don't uh, complain. And you can tell them, let me tell you about my church. Not just about Jesus, but about the whole church and how it's true. And, and then I want to talk about the stranger. The guy who uh, tells us everything. He talks. He keeps people captivated for hours on end. He talks about... Uh, he goes against our moral beliefs and our character and he defies and he's solemnly rebuked and asked to leave our homes. He makes cigar- cigarettes look cool and cigars manly and pipes distinguished. He, uh, he, ta- he encourages people to try alcohol and drugs and all the time. He talks much too freely about sex and fornication and He, he uh, has comedy and he keeps... Uh, adventures and mysteries, he keeps people captivated with those. Do you know what his name might be? TV. The also another thing could be is your phone. Because you can basically do as much as with a TV as with your phone, if not more, or your computer. I mean, not all things are bad. It depends on what you use it. Because we have a uh, DVD that I thought was pretty good. It's called American's Godly Heritage. And it talks about how uh, how this great country was founded on godly principles and how there was testimonies. Like there's a testimony of George Washington when he was fighting the Indians and he was the leader. And he was in battle and he had like two or three horses shot from out from under him. And he had uh, bullet holes in his coat. And several years later, the Indian chief came to him who was fighting him and said uh, God was protecting him for a special reason because he had 20 uh, of his Indians shooting at him and none of them could hit him. I thought that was really interesting. Anyway, so if we don't listen to this stranger, that would lead us with a testimony. If people wonder why and they ask us, we can say, let me tell you about my church. The other reason I tell you this is, I, I don't know if you heard about the stranger's secret. The stranger's secret is you become what you think about most of the time. Whatever you put into your mind, you get out. You can't expect to put trash in there and get out a, a well-defined car or whatever you so desire. I've also heard someone else say that their young kid was reading novels and he was reading them and his mother didn't like it and so she gave him a trash to eat for dinner and he did not like that. And so he's like, oh, I'm not going to eat this. And she says, well, at least this comes out the other end because when you put in what in your mind, it doesn't come out. There's no really no exit. So be careful what you uh, put into your mind because you've got to beware of the power of influence, what you uh, watch and read and listen to. And one way to uh, see the effects of influence is ask, what does it have me doing? What does it have me saying? And what does it have me thinking? Because your thoughts become your actions. Your actions become your deeds and your deeds become your destiny. I'd like to read Mosiah 2.49. 
But this much I can tell you, that if you do not watch yourself, and your thoughts, and your words, and your deeds, and observe to keep the commandments of God, and continue in the faith of what ye have heard concerning the coming of our Lord, even unto the end of the lives, ye must perish. And now, O man, remember and perish not. And then I want to read John 13, 34 through 35. A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have loved, loved one another. So God gave us this new commandment because in the Mosaic Law he said, love your neighbor as yourself. But then in this new commandment he goes beyond that and love everyone as God has loved us. Love bears the affirmities of the weak. Love does not serve or please itself, but seeks the welfare of others. Love surrenders anything that might be a stumbling block to a weaker brother. Love manifests itself in deed and in truth by keeping God's commandments and by giving service to others. Love is never proud or hasty or impatient or unkind. Love is quick to believe good and slow to believe evil about others. Love does not envy the success of others or rejoice in their defeats. Do you manifest this kind of love? Do I? We cannot be true disciples or manifest God's life in us unless we love one another as Christ loved us and gave himself for us unless we love as Jesus loved unto the end. This would lead you with a testimony if uh, you love like this and people, especially to your enemies, because he says, do good to those who despitefully use you, pray for them and minister unto them. This will lead you a testimony when they ask you why you do this. And then you can open with, let me tell you about my church. This love I speak about is uh, charity. Because without charity, we can do nothing. It is the pure love of Christ. It endureth forever. And we must endure to the end with this love. And then I'd like to read Matthew 12, 29-32. And Jesus said, O ye generations of vipers, how can ye, being evil, speak good things? For out of the mouth abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. A good man out of the good treasures of the heart bringeth forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasures bringeth forth evil things. And again I say unto you, that every idle word which man shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. I'd like to read a, a little bit of an Evan Fry sermon about idle words. I'm reading it because he explains it a lot better than I would. Most of us talk too much without thinking enough. Often we say things which it would have been better to leave unsaid, things which may hurt or offend others, or things which may give wings to dangerous gossip and rumors. We waste the time of ourselves and of others in endless superficial chatter, we utter countless idle words without really having anything important or profitable to say, without any consideration of what the ultimate result of our words is going to be. Jesus said that man would be required to give an account in the day of judgment for every idle word spoken. In most modern translation of the Bible, the word idle is translated careless. It is also carrying some of the meaning of barren or unprofitable. How many of your words are idle words? 
there are some particular types of idle or careless speech which we wish to note superficially. One of the very common habits of our day is an addiction to profanity. Certainly the habit Montosity, repeated use of the names of deity as bywords or oaths is one particular agnostic example of idle or careless words. Such, practic- such practice violates the third commandment. Thou shalt not take the name of thy Lord thy God in vain. It shows a callous disrespect for deity, at times verging on, verging on blasphemy. Habitual use of profanity shows that the person using it is not only idle, careless, barren, and unprofitable towards God, but that he is unclean in mind and spirit. It is likewise shown that he is mentally and spiritually lazy, and linguistic and provished. The English language is partially rich in words to express exact shades of meaning. A careful man chooses his words, says exactly what he means, and means exactly what he says. The lazy, idle, and careless man uses one or two profound and completely meaningless swear words over and over as substitute for the abundance and much more expression adverbs and adjectives. Therefore, he never really says what he means or really means what he says. His profanity may be very fluent, but in terms of real meaning, he is quite apt to be as incoherent as a two-year-old. A narrower form of idle or careless words is the word spoken in anger, revenge or malice. Often said words are unfruitful. They cut and hurt and wound and they destroy friendships and uh, widen branches already made. Once spoken, they can never be recalled. Jesus said concerning this kind of idle word, whosoever is angry, angry with his brother without cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Reish, shall be in danger of the council, but whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Paul wrote to the Ephesians, Let, uh, let no corrupt com- communication proceed out of your mouth. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Still, another form of idle or careless word is simply using too many words to say what needs to be said. The sin of talking too much and of using too many words to say what had just as well been left unsaid is very, it is a very old one, one which frequently draws the attention of the writer of Proverbs. Seest thou a man who is hasty in his words? There is more hope of a fool than of him. In the multitude of words there waneth not sin, but he that refraineth his lips is wise. A fool also is full of words. A fool's voice is known by a multitude of words. Let thy words be few. These and other ancient sayings warn of the danger of careless and excessive speech. He that hath knowledge spreadeth his words, even a fool. When he holdeth his peace is counted wise. And he that shutteth his lips is esteemed a man of understanding. Whoso keepeth his mouth and his tongue keepeth his soul from troubles. One way to keep our words from being idle, careless, or unprofitable is to use them sparingly, to choose them carefully, weighing and considering whether they say exactly what we mean and what, we, and what will be their effect on those who hear them. Another way of using idly, careless, and unprofitable is the carelessness and usually meaningless pagan practice of swearing by some sort of oath to attest the truthfulness of the most ordinary statements. A man's words... should be as good as his bond. If a man offends not in words, he will have no need 
to swear by Jove or by George or by Gum or by Jimmy or by anything else to prove that he is speaking the truth. Jesus said, Swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Neither shall thou swear by thy head, because thou canst not make one hair white or black. But let your communications be yea, yea, nay, nay, for whatsoever is more of these cometh evil. What do your words tell about you? Your speech betrays you. By the words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. Then watch your words, for we shall give an account in the day of judgment for every idle word which we have spoken in this life. Another thing about <coughs> idle words is I remember reading Joseph Leff's autobiography. And when it, someone in his work would tell a dirty joke or anything like that, he would leave the room so he wouldn't have to hear it. So it wouldn't be in his mind like I talked about earlier. So all this would lead us with a testimony. So I thank you for coming out tonight. Thank you. As our brother has taught us this evening, may we truly remember to prepare the type of life that we will not be a stumbling block for those that we come in contact with. Shall we turn in closing to hymn 321 after the singing of this Brother Enoch Walsh of the Benediction? 321.
Our Father, thank you for this um, day. Thank you for all of us being able to be here this evening. And thank you for that message which my brother Josiah has given that we might all remember as we go forth to our homes this night those things and those words which he has spoken by you that we um, might be brought to mind those things in those areas where we do struggle that we might grow closer to you from grace to grace even as we do remove those sins from our lives as we do change ourselves Helps to go closer to you and recognize where we do fall short, that we might humbly keep thy commandments, all thy commandments. And ask that your spirit might go with us as we do go and are reminded of these things. In Jesus' name I ask thee. Amen.